Welcome to the Global Marketing Show, the podcast for all things international business. I'm your host, Wendy Pease, president of Rapport International and a translation expert. Come along with me today as we talk to an expert in the global marketing world about facing their biggest fears, hearing about mistakes they made or saw, discussing best practices, and sharing fun travel language and culture stories. So hello, listeners, and thanks for joining us today on the Global Marketing Podcast. And I'm excited to welcome Jeff Grody, who is the CEO of Automated Export Processing. And he's fascinating. He's the only gun expert whose customers know more about shooting than he does. So he's, he's got an interesting background. He's got tw 20 years in private practice as an attorney. Then he worked at Colt, the gun manufacturer, and he's recently launched a business um, to help gun manufacturers export. So he is a whiz at that. It's going to be very interesting to talk to him about regulatory and industries that um, really have to follow some different laws and trying to sell cross country. So Jeff, welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Wendy. It's a pleasure to be here. I look forward to our conversation. Yes, and I have to know, how did you go from private practice being a lawyer to ending up at a gun company when you're not an avid hunter or shooter? That must have been a fascinating transition. Yeah, opportunity presented itself. So I was um, in, in private practice for, I did several different things at different stages of my career, but uh, the thing I did the most was uh, act as a counsel to uh, companies that were in bankruptcy or to their creditors. So I was a business bankruptcy lawyer. Colt Firearms, uh, which is in Hartford where I live and has always been here, has uh, actually a number of bankruptcies in its um, lengthy history. One of them occurred in 1992 when I was a young partner at my law firm and uh, I led our effort to get retained by the Colt vendors, the unsecured creditors committee to represent them in the bankruptcy. And at the end of the case in 1994, the company was sold to an investment group in New York. Uh, and my partner and I, who were uh, uh, not well liked by other people in the case because uh, we were the, uh, the ones demanding, uh, in, in, in bankruptcy frequently, the unsecured creditors bear the brunt of uh, the, uh, the failure of the company and they were expected to walk away with nothing. And we said that wasn't going to be satisfactory um, and, and uh, uh, had to make that known throughout the two years of the bankruptcy. So when the buyers came in to meet with my partner and me, they had been forewarned to expect a contentious, unproductive meeting. And in a half hour, we shook hands on a deal uh, that was cordial the entire time. Uh, that was the key to the case uh, ending peacefully. And then we all went our separate ways. And, and then six years later, uh, the company had some issues that required counsel in Hartford. And the people who had been forewarned how terrible we were going to be uh, hired me. And um, I ended up working for them for about six years. And then uh, an opportunity presented itself to move uh, inside the company. And I discovered it's a fascinating business, a fascinating industry. And, and Colt has a, uh, you know, a very proud uh, history. And it was exciting to be part of that. So it was, a, a, it was um, yeah, it was perhaps an unusual move for somebody who was not uh, a frequent and experienced shooter, but it was a, uh, it was a wonderful career step for me, and it's, uh, it's really led to the industry that I've stayed in ever since. And that was in 2005 when I left private practice. So you go to work for Colt, and what were you doing for them? 
Is this when you became more of an expert on exporting? Oh, I learned many new things at, at, at Colt. I was the uh, general counsel, a senior vice president and general counsel was brought in to run the legal side of the operation. But there were numerous opportunities to participate uh, in the uh, business affairs in a way that a private practicing lawyer never can do. Uh, for, and the, the greatest need was in Colt's international sales area, uh, which was very extensive. Colt has, throughout its history, even when Sam Colt was alive, sold uh, its products internationally and um, has uh, the, the, the M16 and the M4 platform have been sold to military and police customers in over 90 countries. And um, with those embedded firearms in the different countries, there was, and, and the knowledge of the operators of how to use those firearms, there was a, a, an embedded book of business that resulted in continuing sales over the years while I was there, before I was there, and, and subsequent to my departure. And um, there were international military contracts that needed to be reviewed. There, were, there was a network of sales representatives in the countries that were the most significant customer uh, countries for Colt. And there were contracts and, and ongoing relationships with them, there were bids and governmental tenders that needed to be reviewed, and there was a need for help of the sort that I could give and an uh, and opportunity to give it. It was fun for me. So that was really my introduction to international sales and was uh, the starting point for what I do uh, today. Okay, so they're in 90 countries, and you talked about them having sales reps, yet they're in a highly regulated industry. And so anytime a company wants to export from the United States in a, in a regulated industry, they have to jump through a lot of paths. So can you tell me about first the company set up, like how were they operating? Did they have distributors or were those salespeople in country employees? Or how, how did that look? And then we'll get into the regulations. There were, th were third-party uh, representatives, uh, folks who acted as uh, consultants and brokers uh, on behalf of the governments who were the end users and the purchasers. So they were not employees. With military products, one of the uh, issues you run into from the standpoint of doing business internationally is you must ship directly to the end user. So military products don't get stocked in warehouses. They get manufactured here. Uh, oftentimes these days in partnerships uh, with the, with the uh, destination end use country, there'll be some, some parts may be made in the end use country. Some may, and the, the uh, firearm may be assembled there, but uh, they go if, uh, to the extent that whatever is made in the United States goes directly to the end user. And in terms of the, no, go ahead. Okay, so that's why you were careful to say that there were third party representatives as opposed to a distributor that might actually take possession of the products. They didn't, they were just representing you, but you had the direct relationship with the customer then or direct shipment? Uh, two different things. Yes, the direct shipment, but no, the direct relationship with the customer tended to be uh, led by the third party representative. The, and this is really driven in the military uh, sales area for uh, firearms. The, the intermediaries play a very valuable role. Uh, mm -hmm. They are some of them are really the buying agents for the military end users, and others were on the Colt team, 
uh, and some of them have very long-standing relationships. But the benefit of having these folks in the middle, uh, one of them is that they speak English uh, so that they have the ability to communicate with the American manufacturers uh, effectively, but they're uh, in the destination country so they understand the culture and the languages of the buyers and they have their own individual relationships uh, in some instances more than others, but with the, with the, uh, with the, uh, with the end users, the, the people whose money was paying for the, for the product. Okay. So what was the relationship with the buying agents? Did they get commission? Like what was the financial arrangement with them? They get commissions. That's very common, and and in but they would uh, get get commissions. There were a few exceptions, but typically, uh, you would uh, the the way this business works is the intermediaries uh, receive a commission uh, on on the sale when it's uh, complete and paid for. Okay, so they do the introduction, they do the communications, but really you are selling to the end user, you're billing them and shipping to them, but the intermediary makes a commission for doing the introduction and managing the relationship. Mostly correct. The, 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 without getting into the details, which aren't that interesting, who bills who uh, and the, the flow of the contract and the money uh, can vary in some respects from, from one transaction to the next, but the end user's money is, uh, is going to the manufacturer and the manufacturer is shipping the product directly to the, to the end user. On occasion, the, the representative uh, will take, take uh, possess, clear the goods through customs and deliver it to the end user. Sometimes it's delivered directly to the end user. In some instances that's required um, by the U.S. government, even. But, okay. uh, yeah, the reason ahead. I bring this up and why it's interesting is because there's been people on here who have talked about distributors and people who have talked about um, how you can um, use employee leasing to hire employees in country and uh, people who have had employees in the country. But this is kind of this is a different scenario where you're really using a consultant to sell. And your relationship was with the end buyer, even though you're doing all the communications through there. So anybody who's interested in exporting something that's regulated, this would be a nice a nice way to you know to know that there's a different option for setting something up. So it's valuable correct. to hear. Although, yeah, correct. It, it, but that's for this is really specifically for military sales, and the military mm -hmm. products are export controlled in a uh, different way from the way uh, non-military firearms are today. Uh, and there's a, a, the State Department uh, controls the exports of military products. The Commerce Department controls the exports of non-military products. And there are different mindsets for appropriate reasons in the, in the, in the two different departments. And uh, a closer eye is kept on who is who touches the military products, who the end user is, what the end use is. Uh, and, and the Commerce Department looks at the same things, but from a different perspective because the products that they're controlling are not inherently military as the State Departments are. Okay. All right, so you've got the military and the non-military. Can you talk about the regulatory requirements and what kinds of products have to go through regulatory and how it would be different for military and non-military? Okay, well, I have to do a little bit of, of, of history because on March 9th of last year, the export control jurisdiction over most firearms changed. Um, and and uh, and I'll talk about that. But up until uh, uh, March 9th of last year, if you wanted to sell a firearm or a firearm part to somebody outside the United States, you needed a an export license for the particular sale. You don't get like any kind of a blanket license. Each sale requires a license from a unit of the State Department called the Directorate of Defense Trade Controls, DDTC. 
and uh, you apply for licenses through an extra, uh, an electronic portal. And uh, to obtain a license, you, you a State Department license, you're required to have a purchase order or a sales contract, And uh, number one. Number two, an import permit from the uh, end user or their country or an official statement that the particular sale does not require an import permit. Import permit regulations vary from one country to the next quite a bit. Then you would also need an end user statement uh, and there's different forms for that. Typically you would need an official form uh, called the DSP 83 that uh, is uh, signed by both the intermediary, the, 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 the broker and the end user that assures our government that uh, the product, who the, it, it states who the end user of the product is and what the end use will be. And those are the key documents that are uh, presented in an export license application, the purchase order, the copy of the import permit, the DSP 83, and you attach those to the uh, license, uh, which uh, contains 22 fields of information, and upload it to the State Department, and then they process it. And so this is military and non-military guns and gun parts? That, that, okay, so that, um, I didn't answer that part of your question. Up until through March 8th of last year, yes, it was guns, gun parts, ammunition, and, um, and certain accessories. For instance, uh, sound suppressors, silencers are treated, you know, they're, they're an accessory, but they were regulated as gun parts and, and there's, there's still, they are still regulated by the, uh, by the State Department. Now, on March, there has been an effort underway called export control reform in the, in the federal government that began at the beginning of the first Obama administration. And the uh, genesis was Defense Secretary Gates at the time observed that uh, as many folks in the aerospace and defense industry had seen, uh, that there were many products that had had military origins that over the years had also uh, uh, been used in many, many non-military applications, and that because the uh, State Department's export controls were so strict, the United States industry was missing out on foreign opportunity because we were over-regulating dual-use items that didn't need this to be treated as military items anymore. So a multi-year effort began to go through the entire list of military products called the United States Munitions List and to identify items that could be controlled by the Commerce Department because they had commercial as well as military applications and to uh, take those out of the State Department's jurisdiction and put them into the Commerce Department's jurisdiction. Now, sporting arms and ammunitions uh, were among the first parts of that list, uh, the United States munitions list. There are, there are three categories of, of uh, small arms and ammunition uh, on that list. And the, those three categories were actually the first ones to be uh, uh, readied for uh, transfer to the Commerce Department. Hmm. But Firearms, as you, as everyone knows, there's a lot of politics associated with firearms, mm -hmm. and for uh, that caused that transition never to happen until the Trump administration. And then, as of March 9th last year, uh, most fire all firearms without military applications and ammunition were moved from the State Department to the Commerce Department jurisdiction, which is where they are now. And you still need an export license for guns. You still need an export license for gun parts. 
but the licensing requirements are uh, easier. You don't need a purchase order, for instance, in order to apply for a license. You also don't need to upload an import permit, although in many instances you need to obtain an import permit before you ship. So the, the requirements now are more, more flexible. There's still control, uh, but, but uh, in a way that is easier in some, easier in some respects to deal with. In all honesty, the regulations under the International Traffic and Arms uh, Regulations with the, with the State Department were complicated, and the new Commerce Department regulations are still complicated in different ways. Once you learn them, uh, you, can, you can do business more easily under the new regulations, but they're still quite complex. And that's, that's the challenge that, that really has led to uh, our, our business. Well, that's, I am laughing as you're going through this because, you know, with my years in global business and marketing, I mean, I've owned this firm for 17 years. And anytime we start talking about ITAR and global conferences or regulatory for, you know, parts that could be made into, uh, you know, gun parts or, you know, in the, in the list is quite long of things you wouldn't think of that are regulated under ITAR. I kind of go, that's confusing. And as I'm listening to you, I'm like, okay, here's somebody that explains things really well. And it's still confusing to me. So this is where your business idea has come in and could really help a lot of people. So with your experience and legal and regulatory and ITAR and what's, what's going on and exporting, tell me what you're doing now to simplify this for people who want to cross borders with these goods. That's the part that's really, really fun. So what <laughs> we, this has been such an adventure with this with this business, and after two. So years, I have to I have out. I have to tell listeners on the podcast. See, we're recording this on video, and he was very serious looking until we got to this point. And when he said, "Now this is the part that is fun," he lit up, sat up, and smiled. So <laughs> let's let's hear this. It's good to be passionate about your your business. It is um, the the. The challenge that uh, we saw, the opportunity, was that because of the, the complexity of the regulations, there was, overall, there are many uh, folks in the American firearms who have, uh, firearms industry who have products, some, some guns, but many of them sell parts. There's a huge aftermarket uh, and, and many, many suppliers of wonderful products uh, that uh, that do a fantastic business in the United States online. There was, uh, and to this day still is, virtually no ability for those folks to do business internationally because to hire people like me and the others who do the kind of work that uh, I've been doing as a consultant after leaving to help uh, with uh, export compliance programs and to obtain export licenses, it's expensive on a per transaction basis. So you need uh, transactions that are at a minimum thousands of dollars in order to justify the cost of, of, a, of a consultant. So that put online business out of reach. So the, the, the industry today is, uh, there, there are hundreds of, manufacturers of products and firearms, but also, as I said, of aftermarket parts and components that sell them freely to people in the United States. They know because they get inquiries from people in other countries that there are people outside the United States who want to buy them from their web stores, but they can't do business because there is hmm. uh, the, the people the industry is uh, very conscious of the regulatory environment. Uh, the, the, the industry organization, uh, trade organization, does a wonderful job of, of, of educating people on 
the regulations, but a lot of people just say, well, this is too complex for me. And mm-hmm. as a practical matter, there is no way to, to handle the online transactions uh, efficiently. So uh, what I saw was an opportunity to use technology to do most of what human beings were doing when they uh, prepared an export license, analyzed products uh, to determine how they were classified for export purposes, and that we could overcome that hurdle of uh, the expense being too great to uh, uh, permit online commerce to happen. And uh, that was the genesis of the business, which was to enable sellers to be able to ship internationally. What we didn't focus on at first, but discovered early, early on, uh, was that there was a flip side to this, that it was not only complicated for the American sellers to sell and ship, it was and is complicated for the buyers in other countries to shop and to buy. And uh, because they, one of the things you worry about uh, as an exporter of firearms and related products is uh, are you selling to good people or bad people? Right, right. Are they going, are they lawfully authorized to purchase and import the products you're selling and to resell them or not? And uh, that that's one barrier that uh, cause, it's very hard to know how to do that. That's an art, it's a learned skill. That is something I've done more than most folks and that was part of the job at Colt and it's a big part of what we do at my company uh, uh, now. But um, so there's this, this issue of how do you know whether the people are good or not? That was just a caused many people outside the country, um, dealers, and, and, uh, uh, and it was just too expensive for individuals to participate, but it caused them to have nobody who would talk to them. Okay. The, the, uh, uh, manufacturers here for, for very appropriate reasons have minimum relationship sizes that they uh, need to see in a, in a foreign distributor or uh, a dealer before they will engage. And uh, so, and the individual shooters uh, who, who hunt and go to ranges just can't get access to the American products that they see on the internet because the dealers can't get them and the uh, individuals can't buy them themselves. So we realized that there was, uh, that the tremendous inefficiency in the market was two ways, that sellers couldn't sell and buyers couldn't buy. And and it's and it's that, so much more complex than that because the sellers in the U.S. want to follow the rules and the regulations, and they want to make sure they're selling to good people. And the buyers want to make sure they're following the rules, <laughs> but accessing the stuff that they want. So it's not like just triaging a product and setting up a distribution. There's so much more kind of emotional and regulatory difficulty behind it. So how do you solve this? With, 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 <laughs> you, build, you, build, you build your own software and you stay very, very, very narrowly focused. So the way our system works at a high level is if you, uh, are, if you want to buy from one of the, you're in another country, and we only do international. That's the full scope of, of what we do. And my business processes. Okay, so at automated export, export processing, Automated export processing, your company only helps facilitate international sales because in the U.S. they've figured out how to do it online. Mostly, but yes, yeah. that's not that, that that's not that's not uh, where we where we play, and and okay. we 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 call our product Easy Export, and uh, we have okay. one product, and we'll we'll only have one product, and Easy Export is 
is what we do. So we, we connect to uh, the, the uh, seller's online stores. We connect our computer to their online stores through a, an API connection. And, uh, when, and we process uh, the orders actually, each order in the shopping cart, and identify whether an export license is necessary, whether an import for any item in the order, whether an import permit is required for any of the items in the order, whether there are items in the shopping cart that can't be imported to the purchaser's country. We do that in the shopping cart and to make sure that there are uh, completed transactions without surprises and disruptions, we tell the buyer about these things before they pay. In other words, if there's something they're not going to be able, that can't be shipped to them, they're actually told, this can't be shipped to you, please remove it from the shopping cart. Um, if an import permit is required, they see a, a message that this item will require. Okay, so hang license. on. Hang on, so, yeah, so before they click buy, they're told they need an import license. They can go get that and upload it before they actually pay for it. No, they, they're told before they pay for it uh, that they will need it, but, they, um, but they'll need it before the product ships, not before they pay. Oh, okay. 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 And then if something requires an export license that the seller has to obtain, import permits are things buyers obtain in right. order to bring the product into their country. An export license is something the seller obtains in order to send it out of the United States. And export licenses don't require, under the Commerce Department regulations, don't require any action by the, by the buyer, but they will result in delay. Mm -hmm. So if there's going to be, a, because the seller has to apply, we apply for it on behalf of the seller. Sometimes they come back almost overnight Sometimes they can take four weeks. So we warn the buyer uh, in the shopping cart that this item may take some extra time. And, um, and then the, the buyer checks out and, and pays. And um, if an import permit is required, we send an automated message to the, uh, to the, to the buyer to uh, provide the import permit to us. And they have a dashboard now, I'll talk about the registration in a minute, but they uh, they go to their dashboard and upload it uh, to 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 us. But there's one, you know, I didn't talk about the good people versus bad people. Right. And let right. me explain because it's a key part of our system. If you want to buy, you have to register with Easy Export. So and, and when uh, so if you're a, an individual, a dealer, a government agency in another country. All of them are eligible to uh, uh, to become purchasers, and 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 our service territory includes 82 countries. So all types of purchasers in those countries are allowed to create to register with us. When they register, we vet all of them individually. If if you're a gun owner, you give us your firearm permit, often not in English. Um, if your business, uh, if you're a dealer, whoa, 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 wait. Give us okay. your dealer's so license. you got to, you, you, you jumped right over something really important there. So you're vetting okay. them and they may upload their firearm permit. Who's not, that's not in English. How can you vet them if they're not in English? No, well, you translate it, right? <laughs> we also, if, and, 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 uh, you know, their websites often are not, in English, um, and if there, we we would like to. One of the pieces of information that they provide to us is their their website. So, uh, who who helps us with the translation of these sorts of things? It's our friendly Google Translate. Oh, um, <laughs> interesting. So, okay. Oh, Google Google Translate will play a significant role in our business in a whole bunch of different respects. Um, it won't solve all of the issues, but we will have, Wendy, uh, numerous interactions. Most of what my staff will end up doing 
is interacting with the purchasers. The customer side is pretty easy. The, the sellers, most of what they do is, is automated. Right. They don't need much from the individuals. Even when an export license is needed, we just go get it for them. But most of our activity will be involved with registering of the, the purchasers from the 82 countries, looking at their documentation, and communicating with them when we have questions. So uh, how do you, uh, so to back up, when you register in the very first screen before we verify your email address, we ask you to select a preferred language. Um, I decided recently that we would uh, keep the list to 25 or 30. And um, I went through uh, whatever menu we had at the time that had many languages that I had never heard of and pared it down to what I thought would be enough to cover uh, the, the service ter territory. We ended up with 25 right. and asked me to name all of them. Mm -hmm. And But that was... I have very ambitious objectives with respect to translation, and um, but but we had to put some limit on the languages that we tried to be good at. So people are given a choice of 25 languages that, if if other than English, they can select which one they prefer, and then we will try to accommodate their preferences as we grow. We have, for instance, a series now, is this of automated... of the 25 yeah. languages, is that translated by a human or that's just the Google plugin? It's, 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 it's both. That's kind of where I was headed. So, okay. for instance, um, we have a whole bunch of automated messages in our, in our system. On day one, they will all be in English only. By the end of this year when we've stopped tinkering with the text of those messages and it's reasonably stable, then every one of those messages will be translated by human translators okay. into uh, all, all 25 languages. That's an easy one. Um, and the developers right. know that that's coming. And that one I can do a high quality uh, uh, translation. As we begin to, so let me, let me back up a bit. One of the things that um, I, I saw as we were building our software system is that we, because of this, re this registration process gives us the ability to feed customers to our customers that um, every one of our customers that entices a foreign, uh, an international purchaser to register, that purchaser becomes available to all of our customers because one part of our system is, and, and the inducement to register is that if you create an easy export purchaser account with us, you can shop with any of our customers simply by logging in at their website with, um, your easy export uh, uh, email address and login, uh, your password. Mm -hmm. And that's a wonderful thing. Remember, I mentioned how hard it is for the purchasers to be able to do business with the American sellers. What we do is allow them to use a single login to shop with any of our customers. And right. all of our customers are equipped to ship in compliance with uh, the, the uh, export regulations, the foreign countries import regulations, and very importantly with carrier uh, requirements uh, so that uh, we, we, we bridge that, that, that gap. But we saw that the, the registration process would give us the ability to bring customers to all our customers. And that's become a very important mission of ours. Right. So we will develop, we will develop localized websites starting this year in the primary markets so that we can reach out, Easy Export can reach out to purchasers and say, come here. And that we will do 
from uh, uh, local uh, domains in the principal countries. We will have uh, a, a gateway website that speaks to people in their own language. None of that's going to be Google Translate. Okay. And, and eventually, and 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 eventually, we will uh, do our have our registration screens translated into the different languages so that people, we make the registration process really easy and really friendly. My, my mission is to make, make buying um, very, a, a fun experience, just right. like uh, uh, to make it as easy to buy American firearm products for the people in the other countries as it is for them to buy anything else online. Mm-hmm. That's our challenge. Okay. Okay. I see. So any, anything with on the marketing or the liability, you'll have high quality translation. You might leverage the Google translate in what area did you mention that? So it, it, uh, Google translates a wonderful tool for translating the official documents uh, because <laughs> we don't need to read every word on the official document. And honestly, with only 82 countries and many, many transactions, we will know what all the official import permits and Uh. and firearm permits and licenses look at. So what we need to do is make sure that uh, uh, if there's a firearms permit, it doesn't look like a forgery, uh, uh, which can be tricky when you're looking at a copy, but there are ways to, to do that. You need to see the issuance date very important to see the expiration date, make sure it's in the future, not in the past. An import permit will ordinarily list the items that are um, authorized for import, the the specific items, the quantity, oftentimes the price. Um, So you need to match those up with the the, uh, items that our computer is telling us require an import permit. So that's one area where we need Instant translation, but we don't need totally accurate right. translation. Another one will be when we have questions. We will have questions all the time when people are registering. Uh, you know, why, why can't we find your address on Google Maps? Uh, uh, why don't you have a, 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 a website? Uh, what is this uh, shipping address? Your firearm permit? doesn't have this it doesn't have that um, there will be this is the nature of the business today that mm-hmm. there is interaction uh, of, of this sort with uh, the foreign uh, the international purchasers and uh, we will use Google Translate for that so we have a protocol that we have developed internally so that we will always send messages in English um, but we will also send messages in the uh, in the purchaser's preferred language. And okay, okay, that makes a lot of sense of where you're using it. The other thing, as you're getting questions, track the questions that you're getting because we worked with a client on this, and it's a section in the book that I wrote on global marketing. It's called the Language of Global Marketing, and it's coming out in about six weeks. But one of the clients we talked about that as an example is he wanted to. You, he wanted to translate emails going back and forth. And we said, think of all the questions that you're getting and then doing, do a FAQ page on your website. So eventually you can get to that when you're, you're figuring out the, the questions you most frequently get. Oh, we have extensive FAQs. So we have, ah. we have part, part of um, one, one, one of our operating philosophies is that there are buyers in every country in our service territory who need extra help, particularly individuals, that you can't just say you need an import permit. If you were to ask most Americans, does he need import permits to bring firearms into this country? There are very, very few people who have any idea right. how to obtain one. Right. Well, that's true everywhere. Right. So what we have done, uh, and this is uh, uh, my colleague April Towers, who, who uh, came from Colt, who has really done the uh, legwork for this, but uh, we 
has prepared incredibly valuable FAQs for the purchasers. Mm. So for every country, uh, we tell you which items uh, uh, in your country require an import permit, what type of import permit, and we have all sorts of links to the, uh, the places that they go to obtain the import permits. Australia, for instance, quite complicated, but you don't need to know anything. If you come to the, uh, when you register and your account is approved, we give you access to the FAQs for your country. And mm-hmm. um, we also include duties and import taxes because those, those matter. So we have FAQs on our public website wow. that talk about about what we are and, 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 and what we do and how to register. But we have uh, the detailed FAQs in the, uh, in, in, inside the dashboard. So those will probably be professionally translated at, at, some, at some point. Mm-hmm. Again, I need to know that they're fairly stable. And, and then we need to have uh, the, the, the money, uh, which uh, we, we, uh, it's a very expensive undertaking that we're engaged in. But I will tell you, there's still only so much that you can do with, with words. And one of the things that we oh, are right. yeah. experimenting with is graphics. So one of our first customers, when we showed them the shopping cart, and you know, it's a, it's a cool concept that we analyze the, the, the order in real time, but uh, we put messages we present messages in English that uh, uh, may not be uh, clear to the uh, to the uh, purchasers, and you know, that it's, it, they won't be clear to everybody. So one of our customers suggested icons. So we uh, had uh, some icons developed for us because you can't find one on the internet an icon for this uh, uh, upload import permit. And another one for <laughs> upload sound suppressor paperwork. But we have five icons. And for each icon, of course, there's colors associated with it. And we will use those icons in, uh, in, in not only in the shopping cart, but uh, in communications and elsewhere in the website so that with the repeat use of a small number of icons, people will understand what the messages are without needing to uh, to read the words. And I'll give you another I'll give you another exam- uh, 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 example that we're we're working on uh, right now. It's extremely exciting. The export licenses from the Commerce Department require that uh, when a dealer buys firearms, a foreign dealer buys firearms from the United States, that the dealer cannot resell the firearms to people who have been identified, are on the sanctions list of the Treasury Department, our Treasury Department, as international narcotics traffickers. Mm. Okay, and so a condition of the export license is that the exporter transmit this requirement to the their customers in foreign lands and how do you do that um they are so the way we are doing it because this is highly technical right is, um is a fairly it's it's just it's a it's an instructional video that um we're putting together in powerpoint i think eventually our marketing person will make it more professional than than i can do but simply by using screenshots, what you have to do is you go to a database and conduct searches on the names of your customers. Okay, and then if you get search results, then you have to dig in and see whether it's your customer. So that's, that's the methodology by which the person in another country complies with this requirement. And so what we're preparing is an instructional video that just uses PowerPoint animation um, 
to point to the places in uh, to show how to do a search. And then if there's a hit, an apparent match, how to dig down and see if that's uh, a, an actual match. The hmm. video, so I'm creating it in PowerPoint uh, if, and, and, and then converting it into a video. And then we will end up deploying it, I believe, on YouTube where um, it will be, the users will be able to uh, add closed captions for their languages if we set it up properly. Right. So um, my hope is that the combination of the uh, uh, narr narration being presented in closed captions and the and a PowerPoint animation that we are adding will make it clear enough for the uh, people in other countries to perform these screens and to know what they can and cannot do by way of resales. Right, Is that clear? right. Yes, yes, very clear. Um, just a small point that people outside the industry don't know, closed caption is for the deaf and hard of hearing, and subtitles are when you're putting it in for different languages. Small, subtle difference in, in terminology, but just so when you're working with your videographer, you know what to call it. Okay, I'm still trying to learn the, the, <laughs> the, the terminology, although... I will not be putting in the subtitles. My understanding is that in any event. Okay. Yeah. It's just on you the talk video. about the difference between, between translation and interpretation. That one I understood. Ah, yes, yes. See, you're you. well, well, well versed in that. that. Usually I take a long time to explain that. All right. We are, we are running out of time. This has been fascinating because, uh, you know, ITAR regulations and all have always fast, you know, seem very complex to me. And what you're doing is taking something complex and building in all the safeguards. So easy export sounds like it's going to be an, a very fascinating platform. Um, so let's go to some personal questions. First off, you know I always ask this because you've listened to some of the podcasts. What's your favorite foreign word? <laughs> I, I, yes, I have listened to your podcast. It, it is efharisto, which is the way you say thanks in Greek. Uh, and and, and we, we spent, uh, when my children were very young, my father uh, turned 70 and decided that it is as his 70th birthday present, he and my mother would uh, rent a villa in Crete and host the children if oh. we could get ourselves there. So we had uh, three very young children, and uh, but we spent a wonderful two weeks in Crete, which was really the first time I became immersed in another culture. And one of the things I've learned is that Treat each culture with respect, and that one of the easiest ways to show that is please and thank you and hello. Uh, but, um, and I just love the sound of Efkaristo. Yes. So, and yes. we used it, that was probably the only Greek word I was able to say, but we used it <laughs> frequently. Retsina is probably another word you learned. Well, yeah, you would have. Retsina, the wine. <laughs> uh, it, I have young kids, yeah. and and um, we did not drink much. We 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 focused on eating, and I have an olive tree over my 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 shoulder, and and that that's where I developed my love for olive trees. Ah, yes, yes, they are all over there. So, and then I usually ask favorite vacation. That one sounds like it was one at the top. Would that would that be your favorite vacation, or do you have another one in mind? You know that I I did hear you ask that of of other people. It's really very very hard. I I taken numerous fun vacations. I can tell you, the two most interesting places I've been were Istanbul and Mombasa in Kenya, and they were the most interesting because they were the most different. And you know, I spent many many. I've been to other places. I took a number of trips to uh, Malaysia. Uh, but these two places seem more different. And um, Istanbul is my favorite of all. So, so what seems so different and why did you like it so much? Like bring me Everything into the flavor of, the, 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 of being there. Well, we, 
Well, we spent our time in the old city and everything is different in the old city and in, in, in Istanbul. The, the architecture, the people look different. You're, you're, Westerners are in the minority. The food is different. Wonderful. And uh, so it was the, 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 the uh, Spice Bazaar and the, um, there's another, the, there are two markets that one goes to were just unlike anything we, we have uh, in the parts of the U.S. That, that I visit and live in. So it was those kinds of, kinds of things. Mm-hmm. We, I, we remember, I remember my wife and I uh, spent one day walking around the old city and toward the end, uh, we stopped for very late lunch in a uh, restaurant where they took us up to the terrace on the top. We were the only Westerners. Everybody, all the other women uh, were completely covered except their eyes. And, um, and we were, there, were that's, there was a big party near us of people having a, 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 you know, I think it was a weekend, they were having a nice meal, family meal together. But it was my wife and I both remember exchanging glances with the other people and the ability to communicate with eyes alone and, and, and mm-hmm. communicate, uh, you know, friendship. They were, they were cordial glances. I found it fascinating. We both remember them. That was a number of years ago. Right. So it, I think that's come up a lot with people that have traveled internationally is it's amazing how much you can communicate, even if you don't know the language and that people want to connect, you know, so you're talking about just doing it with the eyes, which is, is amazing. Yeah, it was nice. And there are mosques, by the way, I'm a big fan of mosques. Oh, right. So that's, those are, those are, those are, you know, I've been, been blessed though with many, fun vacations. Yes, yes, that's wonderful. So we're coming up to the end of time. I'm wondering if you have any final recommendations you have for our listeners that might be interested in doing international business or getting better at what they do. My, my recommendations are the one, the, 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 at least the guides for me are what I said, respect. And try. It, it's so important to put oneself in the shoes of the other person and to see the American side of business from the, from the, the other party's perspective. That's really the unifying theme of everything that, uh, that we do. What we bring that's different is exporters of firearms from the United States. Think of the export, look at that, that, Transactions have two sides to them. There's a sell and an export, and there's a buy and an import. And our power is that we focus on the entirety of that. And that's mm-hmm. what makes for happy commerce. Both sides achieve success and, and their objectives and feel good about it. So both sides That's how feel you build relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, where can people reach you if they'd like to know more? That's very easy. Jeff at easyexport.net. Our website is www.easyexport.net. Remember that it's not .com, but uh, I'm very easily accessible. Well, thank- Link- LinkedIn okay. as well. We post on LinkedIn regularly. Oh, okay. So search for your name, Jeff Grody, or search for Easy Export on LinkedIn. Search for my name. Easy Export is there, but I've, I've been a better poster under my own name. Okay, so Jeff, J-E-F-F, Grody, G-R-O-D-Y on LinkedIn, and you can follow him. So it'll be, it's fascinating to watch your journey as you're expanding, and I really appreciate you coming on to share everything today. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity, Wendy, and, 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 and for your time, and I hope uh, this is valuable to your listeners. 
Oh, it's absolutely valuable. And I think listeners, thanks you, thank you for listening today. No matter where you fall on gun control or your feelings on guns, it's a reality. They're out there and they're around the world and everybody has different controls that they put on them. And, and, and like Jeff said so eloquently is that we want to make sure the good people have them for the right reasons and the bad people don't get them. So I hope you learned something today. Uh, certainly reach out to Jeff if if you have uh, any questions about it, because he knows more about this than anybody I've ever talked to. Um, and if you enjoyed this, uh, tell tell this pod tell somebody about the podcast, uh, the Global Marketing Show, and um, give us a five star rating. And if it's not a five star, let me know how I can improve because I know my guests are always perfect. Um, we'll see you next time. That's a wrap for this session. A big thanks to you for listening to the Global Marketing Show. Hope you had just as much fun as I did. New sessions launch weekly on all places you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on our website. If you know someone interested in this topic, please tell them about us. Au revoir for now.